Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode, it just reminds me of the nervousness that happened last week when you could smell fire, and, <laughs> and I said to you, "What sort of fire is it?" Trying to ascertain whether or not someone had burnt some toast, and you're going, "Well, it reminds me of 1986." <laughs> and then you went into that entire story, and I'm going, "Jake, Jake, stop! Just go, get out of the place." The guest is still you're on. Burning man, <laughs> running with Jake, the podcast, because every runner needs the occasional plot, and here's your host, Jake. Welcome to another professional episode of (laughs) Running With Jake, the podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lowe. I'm a running coach and I am currently wedged under a shelf in a cupboard, recording the show, bringing you this beautiful weekly dose of running motivation, pulling out not all the stops, but some of the stops. We cut some corners today, but it's not our fault. We like to set the scene. Regular listeners will know. We don't always start off the show talking about running, and today is no different. We have to be honest. <laughs> we do, yeah. I mean, what's, the, what's the opposite to when the stars align? Is when the stars aren't aligned. Is that, I suppose... Misaligned. Yeah, that, that'll be it. That's pretty simple, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, so the stars, it's fair to say, are pretty misaligned. Collided. Uh, they are collided. Um, you... We did. Uh, we were recording an interview with somebody in the week, weren't we? And she was lovely. And we were having a really good chat, and then all of a sudden, Jake has a little panic in his own head as he, as he could smell fire. <laughs> so, you know, we don't joke about fire because fire's bad. So um, all of a sudden, there was a quick scramble and a, a cancelling of the recording, and it turned out that the equipment that we record on, the mixing desk, had blown up and caught fire. <laughs> so... So, unfortunately... That was bad news. That was, that was bad news. That was bad news. So, we're not able to record on a proper microphone today, so Jake's recording on uh, on his phone. But not only that, the other situation is that you've got house guests. You, Marty's parents around, and you've got, a, you've got a house full of Italians. And we know how loudly Italians speak, so Jake's in a cupboard trying to stay away from the Italians. Well, look, I'm normally in a cupboard, <laughs> but I'm even further, deeper into the darkest depths of the cupboard. I mean, obviously, I appreciate that you cannot see me listening to the show, but, Pete, you can see sure. me on the camera. You can see I'm proper wedged. It's like this shelf yeah. at the oh, yeah. back of the cupboard is the perfect height for me. I'm, I'm proper sort of wedged in there, so it's taking some of the weight off. I can sort of chill as well while I'm chatting to you, which is really good, hosting the show. Yeah, I mean, we like to paint pictures on this show. And what I'd say is just take, if you take a picture of that right now, what we'll do is we'll use it as a show cover. Um, so you can go to the show notes at runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast, and you can see what I can see now, and let me tell you, it's worth doing. We do paint pictures. They're not always works of art. We have to be very <laughs> honest with this, but Martina's parents are visiting. Uh, my, my girlfriend's uh, Italian parents are, are over, so that's that's going off out there. I can hear the, the dulcet tones of the Italians talking very quickly about things I don't understand. I can pick out the odd word. That's about it. They're probably saying in Italian just to fill you in, what's that dickhead doing in the cupboard? <laughs> what's he doing? What's he doing? <laughs> well, when they arrived last night, okay, they came from the train station, arrived in Winchester, and Martina's dad speaks English, but no, mm. it's broken, you know. It's, 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 we have to, it's not so easy, especially for me when I speak very quickly and whatnot. And Martina had to translate, and we were showing around the house, and then uh, Martina said, oh, this is where Jake records the podcast with Pete every week in this cupboard because of the echoey walls and, you know, kind of showing <laughs> him where we record. And sure. he just looked at Martina and then he said something. About, I said, what did he say? And she said, yeah, he thinks Pete just makes you do that for, for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I don't! I don't! <laughs> Nothing to do with the echo. Here's the thing. The great news. Two bits of fantastic news for you. So the first piece of great news is I have today arriving Express Delivery, a new mixing desk, a wow. fireproof, smoke-proof Jake-proof mixing desk. So next week we're going to be back to being super uber professional. That's the first piece of good news. You can make a note if you like. The second piece of... Oh, man, this is unbelievable. We are speaking to today Callum Thomas, exercise scientist. He's the guy that is all about science, all about physiology, super passionate about testing runners and finding out exactly where their levels of fitness are. And what's more, actually, there's a third bit of good news I totally forgot about. We recorded the chat with Callum pre-mixing desk fire for the show notes and video content go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast running with jake the podcast callum how are you really good thank you glad to be here thank you for having me on well i need to apologize i mean it's okay thanking me 
but I know you're pretty disappointed. You can be honest. We keep things real on this show. You know that. You've been on before. Um, I, I apologise because you thought you were on episode yes. 100. Uh... You did. You were really excited. The mm-hmm. anniversary, the 100th birthday of the podcast, is actually 99. It's episode 99. Ah, uh, I'm the warm-up, the warm-up hats. You are like the warm-up, but, you know, it's great to have you on. We're going to stick a flake in you. It's fine. You are episode 99. <laughs> doesn't matter. You're here now. Listen, it's great to have you on. There's loads of stuff we want to get into. Mm-hmm. You're super passionate about the, the stuff that you do. You've forever got your head yeah. in books and digesting mm-hmm. knowledge. I love it. <laughs> But before we get into all that stuff, because I want to pick your brains on training zones, we're going to help people today big time. Yeah. But you are so used to testing other people as an exercise scientist. Mm-hmm. You work out of a few locations, one of which is the Human Performance Unit in Derby. You test me, you test my runners in the performance community. But you got a bit of a taste of your own medicine recently, didn't you? In yeah. that you <laughs> took part in the Manchester Marathon. First ever marathon. Mm-hmm. We saw you there. We had yep. food afterwards and a beer. Oh, we had a lot of food. <laughs> How did it go? What now you've reflected on it because you're all into yeah. reflection, aren't you? Now, now you're kind of out the other side of it, and it's a few weeks old. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from it? How did it go? I was actually quite surprised the first 20 miles. I was, I was feeling really good, I was feeling re- very strong. Um, there were a couple of runners along the way around that wanted to have a bit of a chat with me, um, and I was a bit sort of in, in the zone, if you know what I mean. Um, didn't really want to stop to chat too much, but it did help at one point just to get myself refocused. Um, yeah, and I was feeling strong. You know, there's, I saw runners around in my wave who were a lot slower, and then I was catching up with the guys in the wave above, and you know, holding the pace that I wanted to hold. Uh, wasn't going too crazy, um, so that was going pretty well up until uh, 20 miles, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then um, yeah, legs were still feeling pretty strong. A bit of I had a bit of like a knee discomfort around 15, 16, but it wasn't like a an issue really. It was just I could tell it was there. But yeah, 20 miles uh, got stitch. And yeah, just I was very frustrated initially because I had a good two and a half hours before I started the um, the event and my breakfast. Um, I kept myself pretty hydrated for pretty well hydrated throughout. Um, you know, as we speak about many times, you know, keeping yourself hydrated is really important. So, just little sips at each water station that I could. Took two gels on beforehand, nothing too silly. Um, and yeah, got to that point uh, where I was on two and a half gels, and yeah, got the stitch. I could feel it coming on. I was like, mm, okay, let's just slow it down a little bit, be sensible. Um, don't go silly because probably the intensity is a bit higher at this point, so I just need to slow it down a little bit. But yeah, then it just really caught me out. It was essentially like someone just shot you, shot me in the stomach. Um, and yeah, just slowed down at that point to the point of like, you had to stop for like 30 seconds. Got myself going again. Felt good. Thought, right, I've got over that barrier. Um, but then I didn't want to take another gel on. Because um, I thought this is just going to make me feel like I'm sick. It's going to give me the stitch again, and so I carried on. Got to 24 miles, had nothing left in the tank, and yeah, I was uh, to give you a, an idea of the pacing I was holding. Um, prior to 20 miles, it was around eight, eight, ten minute mile, and um, those last two miles between like nine and ten minute mile there. Um, yeah, I was. It felt like I was crawling towards the end there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brutal distance, isn't it? I yeah. mean, I said to. Um, to, to one of my runners that's taking part in Valencia Marathon coming up very soon, mm. that the only real test with these things that we try in training, the true test is actually on the day. Of course, yeah. you, you test in training, you build your experience, you learn from different uh, trials that you might run, whether that's pacing, whether that's uh, different gels, whether that's hydration strategies. But until you're actually there and you're at mile 20, it's very difficult to to test everything to the point that it's a foregone conclusion on the race day. It just, it just can't happen, can it? We do test a lot beforehand and I was, I was testing myself, I'd like to see your runners too, um, with the lactate threshold assessments. Numa zones pretty well, um, hence why I was going at eight, eight, ten minute mile. Um, yeah, and a lot of that would indicate that I was, <laughs> I was doing well um, and the test results would give you that confidence. I was going well in the race and you just couldn't really... Um, I suppose account for that in the moment for the stitch, but afterwards on reflection, I've got a couple of ideas next time what I'd do. Um, one of which, again, perhaps just give it a little bit longer for breakfast beforehand. Let's push the three hours. Let's try these things. Um, I know it sounds a bit counterproductive, but having the gels, having one a little bit earlier and then spacing them out a little bit better, I think that might help me a little bit. In one part, stop myself going so low energy towards the end, You know, having that bit more earlier on. Um, a bit I think I had two gels within space of half an hour of each other and I think that helped me too too much either because then that 
sort of half gel one. I um, yeah, I just didn't really want it. I felt pretty sick of it. Um, and also uh, the flavour, um, it's it's quite surprising. But they were giving out, as you know, they were giving out gels during the race. Um, but I kept getting the horrible ones, the uh, like the orange and the pineapple, and I was feel like this. Where, where's the black currant? You know, where's where's the good stuff? And uh, there was nowhere to be seen. And yeah, so I think that if, if I was giving myself advice for next year and anyone else, just um, yeah, I'd really encourage you to bring your own gels and the ones that you like, because I was given loads of rubbish ones and. That brought down my motivation a little bit. I love the problem-solving element of of running and racing and training in general, but especially with marathons, because they're such a beast, you know, such a long way, and it's a real special distance for me. It's my favourite distance to race. It's the race, the first race that I did, well, my second race, I I did a 20-mile race, um, which was more of an event as part of the training for the marathon, because people Mm -hmm. told me back then, when I didn't know too much about running, that it's a good idea to do a 20-mile race as part of you train so I did that but it's a real special distance for me and I think it's all the things that you've mentioned those reflections and it's great to hear as well Callum it's first of all great to hear that you're talking about the next one so it's, it's good to hear yeah. that you're not saying never again but when you do do one again in the future it's about well what can I learn from the previous one which is why we often say exactly when you join me for the monthly Q&A's that we do for for, for my runners that it's good to log everything, write everything down. And that's not just good practice for me as a coach from my runners. It's also good for them because they can look back and, well, what worked for me and perhaps what didn't work so well? What can I change? And it could be the smallest of things. Like you're saying, it could be the flavours of the gels. It could be just spacing them out slightly differently. And Mm -hmm. and what works for you might not work for me or for the next person. But it's nice to know that you can make those tweaks. You've, you've got to change something, yeah. haven't you, if you want to look at moving forward? Definitely. Um, I mean, some of the work I'm doing as the, at the moment, you know, you know, I do the testing, but I'm also working as a research assistant as well for a long COVID recovery project. And as well, not just long COVID, COVID in general recovery. And um, one thing we look at is just taking down as much data as possible. Um, this is quantitative and qualitative. And it's just getting as big of a picture as possible. And likewise with your runners um, and, your, and your own training, um, when it comes to evaluating that, you want as much data to look for as possible and then you can start to narrow it down, identify trends. If people have done a couple of races, it's identifying those themes and those um, similarities between the races, right? If something keeps going wrong, why is that? What, identify something in there that perhaps you keep doing and we could perhaps change, then you adjust that for the next race, see how it goes, reflect on that. Did it help? Did it not help? Right. If it did help, great. Keep that going. If it didn't, right, well, if it, let's see if there's something else that we can improve on. So, yeah, um, totally agree with you there about data collection one of the things i love about this show is when we we speak to great people like yourself callum is is the rabbit holes that we go down the tangents that we go off at you know uh, off on i I, I love this and we we wanted to get into training zones which we are going to come on to shortly Mm, but just picking up on we will do we will do just picking up on what you said there about your awesome work with the covid research long covid and covid in general like recovering from and you mentioned quantitative data which i struggle to say and qualitative data (laughs) so what do you mean by that in terms of running terms for those people that are perhaps a little bit sure what sure. that means and the importance of, because it is important, isn't it? We're, we're saying here, look, reflect back over your races and training, not just not just marathon stuff, but reflect back. If you want to move forward, it's important to look at what you've done and, and how that went. But how do we apply that whole quantitative and, and qualitative kind of r- reflection, if you like? How does that, can you give us sure. an example of that and what it means? Yeah, so quantitative would be your numerical data. So things like your paces, for example. So looking at the pace you're running at a marathon, if you're wearing a chest strap, the heart rate, average heart rate you kept, especially if it's on a flat route, that's really important. Or I find that's really interesting to have a look at. Whereas your qualitative um, data is your descriptive, um, it's the descriptive account of what happened in the event or training session. So the, your reflections, what went well, what didn't go so well, um, what would you do next time? Um, how did a certain part of the race make you feel? Was it a good thing? Was it a bad thing? Um, you know, I've, I've spoken to you before about it gives a cycle of reflective practice. If anyone wants to go away and have a look at that, I think it's a really good one to have a look at. So essentially, it's, I didn't, firstly, it's just simply putting right what happened. Um, and at times it can seem a bit like verbal diarrhea, diarrhea written down. Um, is, that, is that right? Written diarrhea? I don't, <laughs> anyway, I don't, I don't want to get too much into that. Um, you say what's happened essentially. Um, and then you say, right, well, what, what went well? What didn't go so well? How did it make you feel? Um, what can we do about changing that for next time? So um, how could we make those improvements and set in practical steps as, and then give yourself that goal to work to on your next race and put it into practice. So like you say, it may not be a marathon the next time you do an event, but it could be a 20 mile event, it could be a half marathon event 
and you can start to put those things into practice then not everything is just specific to the marathon for example if you do a half marathon there are things that you may have done for a marathon beforehand that may have some carryover especially in my case maybe eating beforehand making sure it's three hours rather than two and a half or two so there's carryover there for other events too so it's not just the data that we're capturing here and, and looking at recording it's it's also the bigger picture as i would describe it it's how how were you feeling what was going on that day what was going on in your life you know how did it feel yeah. that training session that threshold session was it a hilly course you know you mentioned there all, all those different things metrics are great we often talk about metrics with different guests on the show and i'm i'm all into it and the numbers and you clearly are callum with what you do for a living but it's also Definitely. important to understand and accept that that's just one part of the jigsaw and sometimes i do wonder you know whether it's very easy to and i've i've fallen into this trap before i think it's very easy to just sort of feel like you're recording everything and you, you're taking ownership of your training and you're reflecting mm-hmm. because you've got a watch on your wrist that is recording all the numbers so you just sort of think well it's this there it's fine it's recording everything it automatically lo- uploads to strava and polar flow or garmin connect or any of the yeah. other different brands where they have their own platforms it I often say it doesn't matter what it captures unless you actually look back at that data and then give it a bit of colour and a bit of detail. Yeah. And I guess that's where the qualitative side of it comes into it, isn't it? It's like, let's, oh, let's sure. look at what those numbers actually mean. What do they mean to you? And you don't have to go overboard with it. I spoke uh, with a chap recently who's coming on board in the performance community, Callum. You will be testing him very soon, actually, in December. Looking forward to it. Uh, great guy. We, I, I said, right, let's set up a, um, a short call and we'll chat about your running goals. I think it was like two hours or something ridiculous. We were just both going for it. But his personality <laughs> type is such that he's he's really into it and he's really into the numbers and the data. And, and that's fantastic. But you don't have to necessarily be as into it, but just take a little bit of ownership over your running and your training because that will help you to kind of work out what you did previously, what went well, what didn't go so well, and what you do to change in the future. Right, come on, mm-hmm. training zones. I think that's really important. Training zones. Training zones. Shall we start with the basics, my friend? It's good to go over these Let's things, it. isn't it? What are training zones? We set training zones via a number of ways from our test for your runners. Um, so training zones, we can, it's essentially just a way of splitting up the intensity of your sessions i think that's essentially what we're looking to do when we're setting training zones now we can do that with the data we collect from lactate threshold assessments by making what we see deflection points in something called blood lactate now this will indicate to us where um, one sort of your easy zone lies then a more of your steady zone and then finally your more tempo and interval stuff so i suppose i'll just make that distinction now um if that's okay jake um the way we understand it so we essentially go with five training zones. Um, you can call them zone one, two, three, four, and five if you like to. Um, one way we sort of describe those are your recovery, easy, steady, tempo, and interval zone. The way you can have a training zone is fire pace, heart rate, or uh, perception of effort. That's how we that's how we go off that. Now we won't get into the details of the testing because I think that we can really go down the rabbit hole with that one. Um, but when we're setting these training zones up, we have those main five training zones. Just to jump in there, Callum, the testing yeah. side of stuff, you know, and you say, oh, perhaps not go into that in too much detail. I think there's some value in just explaining a little bit of the, the, the science side of stuff. And whether you are, you have been tested or whether you're planning on being tested or whether it's something you never go down the avenue of, that's absolutely fine. I think there are some things that you can benefit from knowing, kind of underpinning some of your training with a bit of science. But just picking up on what you mentioned about the training zones there you know i, I would agree yeah. with you it's, essentially it's just chopping up the intensity that you work out when you go and run it's not just one intensity it shouldn't be and i think that can be potentially a problem for a lot of runners especially first time runners because it, it's not as easy to kind of work at different intensities but chopping them up is quite important and i completely agree with what you're saying you know you said oh you can call them one two three four and five or you can call them recovery and easy and steady and so on and so forth you can really call them what you like it doesn't make any difference as long (laughs) as you understand what they are and what they mean because that's really the important thing isn't it and how i describe it if you the importance if somebody said to me well you know i typically i've got one pace jake that's it well one pace What's the benefit? Why do I need to run at a different intensity? Why do I need to run in in over five different zones and paces and and feel of effort? Well, really, the answer is, if you run at different intensities, you're getting different benefits. And Mm -hmm. all those benefits, to describe it really simply, come together on the day of your race or your goal. Now, these these benefits are not 
super defined. So it doesn't mean if you suddenly step out of zone one, which I want to talk to you about, Callum, mm-hmm. out of zone one into zone two, all of a sudden you don't get any benefits that you get from zone one. You do, but it's just depends on how much of each different benefit that you get. I'll give you a really simple example. I'm going to hand over to you, Callum. People often talk about the fat burning zone and want to burn fat, right? Yeah. So useful for runners. It was quite a popular thing back in the 90s and probably even the 80s for people that were not runners, but were, were just into aesthetics and want to burn fat, want to burn fat. If you run, bringing it back to running very slowly, you will burn more calories from fat. So your energy source, your preferred energy source that the body will use will tap into body fat irrespective of how much body fat you have we all have it in abundance it will use fat it doesn't mean that you're not burning any energy from carbohydrates from the foods that you eat you are Mm -hmm. it's just that proportionally speaking you're burning more from fat if you then step up into a new zone let's say zone two where you start to push the effort a little bit more it doesn't mean that all of a sudden well i'm not burning any energy from fat my energy is not coming from fat anymore it's coming exclusively from carbohydrates from the foods that i eat from those cereal bars from the bananas from the bread no it doesn't mean that it just means that potentially more of your energy is coming from carbohydrates and less from fat so it's important to have that in your mind that when we're talking about these zones they're not exclusive you you can't put these efforts into specific boxes it's just Mm -hmm. if you want different benefits you need to spread the intensity across potentially five zones right that leads really nicely into how we did the testing in terms of energy sources and by the test you're talking about the tests that you guys deliver in the physiology lab which you can have many different places up and down the country deliver these tests where you're in a controlled environment using a treadmill you're nice and safe being looked after somebody like yourself exercise scientist making sure that the runner is safe and delivering the effort they need to and you're obviously trying to ascertain certain things from the data that you capture tell me a bit more about that so we'll start at a certain speed eight kilometers an hour we'll have this at a one percent incline so this reflects outdoor running Um, And then from this point, you'll go for three minutes at that speed. In the last minute, we'll take three measures. We'll take heart rate, we'll take blood lactate, which is just a tiny little bit of blood that will indicate uh, indicate to us your use of energy sources, so more predominantly fat or more carbohydrate. And also a measure called RPE, which is ratings of perceived exertion, which is just a scale that we use, a 60-20 scale, which just generally indicates total body exertion, which can be used for uh, perception of effort zones. From that point, when we get to that three-minute stage, you hop off the treadmill safely, and then you have a one minute rest period where we take that blood lactate sample, we increase the speed of the treadmill, and at the end of that one minute stage, uh, you get jump back on the treadmill um, at nine kilometers an hour, for example, and we keep and, and we go again. Now, with that data, we're looking for two deflection points in your blood lactate. Now, this first deflection point, really simple, we call it LT1. This indicates to us that first intensity of exercise, or for example, running, that first running speed with where ring starts to get hard for you a little bit and it's that transition a little bit from more more towards carbohydrate energy sources. You're still using your fat energy sources like you've just mentioned, Jake, um, but you start to having, to having to use more of your carbohydrate sources. This gets to a point where your things are starting to get a bit harder, you're starting to, your heart rate's starting to increase, your sweat rate's starting to increase, breathing rate, etc., etc. But your body can deal with that using those, ad- those um, adjustments that I just mentioned. And so your blood lactate doesn't rise too much after that. But we find following another stage or two following that, um, you reach your second deflection point, which we call LT2. Some people know that may know that as lactate threshold, lactate turn point. There's loads of different uh, sayings for what that is. But essentially, this is the tipping point. So beyond this point, we sort of say, right, well, this is an intensive exercise where you're predominantly using a lot of carbohydrates. Again, still using fats as a fuel source, but it's just trying to get that energy from those fats um, it's taking too long for what your body requires for that intensity of exercise. And so you're having to use the carbohydrates, which are pretty quick at getting that energy to you as your energy source at that point and beyond. As many of us know, we get that burning sensation at certain intensities of exercise. And this is usually beyond your LT2 point, your LT2 speed. And this is a point where I want to say blood lactate builds up in your blood, but it isn't necessarily the blood lactate that causes that fatigue. It's the hydrogen ions that come as part of a reaction that occurs within the body where there's a buildup of hydrogen ions which increases the acidity of your of your blood which is then detected by the body and then that's where you get that burning sensation from. But essentially that's what we're looking for in our test and we stop at that LT2 point by the way. So when you get to that point where you're thinking God this is getting a little bit hard we're not like right keep going keep pushing on we tend to st- we, t- we, we would stop the test there. Um, it's all about safety enjoyment but also 
we haven't brought you in to uh, absolutely obliterate you. <laughs> it's a good point, isn't it? Because I think when when you call it, refer to it as a test, it, it, straight away, I guess there's almost some pressure that can potentially build in an individual's mind. It, there was for me when I first had a blood mm. lactate test, which was before I knew you, Callum, before I was a coach. Um, and I found a little place um, in the north of the country, had this test. Uh, it was an interesting experience. And <laughs> I, I just, I was like, oh, I want to do well. I wanted to go well. You know, it's, it's almost like a pass or mm-hmm. a fail. There isn't a pass or a fail. No. You're just looking for the information that you can then give to the individual or their coach that can help inform their training. And it just takes out a little bit more of, of the guesswork, which I think is really helpful. And I just want to yeah. pick up on something here because I find this really it. interesting. And, and, and I think people listen to the show well. You said that there's different names for some of those different points of intensity mm. that you're looking for. So the classic that I think most people know is the lactate threshold, you know, threshold training. I want to do a threshold run. Uh, and some people call that LTP, lactate turn points. There's individual anaerobic threshold. There's various names, but you may know it as lactate threshold or threshold. But before then, earlier mm-hmm. in that kind of intensity yeah. curve, on the way up to that uncomfortable place that you're talking about, that acidic environment in the body where it's causing you to slow down, you hit the first point, which we call LT1. So lactate threshold one and yeah. lactate threshold two. That's how we tend to refer to it because we just find it, it yeah. makes a bit more sense. But LT1, I'm not sure a lot of people know much about that, Callum, and the importance of. So you just to recap, yeah. you said that when you reach that first point, that LT1, that's the point of intensity where your body's becoming a little bit more reliant on carbohydrates, just a little bit more, but you're still very comfortable, yeah. but you're not as comfortable as you were below that point. That might be more recovery or running very easy. You're using predominantly yeah. fat as an energy source. Get to LT1. You're, obviously, your pace has increased a little bit, your breathing rate, and you're becoming a bit more reliant on carbohydrate. I think that is so important when it comes mm-hmm. to the marathon which is a big focus for lots of people. Just tell me a bit more about that LT1 and the benefits of it. This is anecdotal, by the way, so it isn't so much I've seen in the research. Sure. But often, when I was doing a lot of my training as well, I would take my LT1 value as, right, this is a pace that I would be expecting to hold in the marathon. Um, Maybe a little bit quicker, depending on experience. Um, Someone like yourself, Jake, would probably be able to go quicker. Um, But in my mind, LT1, right, if I got a value there, I'd try and hold, that'd be what I'd be thinking about trying to hold for the marathon. But then when it comes to training times, it's really important. So if you go, go out one day and your coach said, right, I want you to run easy today, here's a distinct marker telling you what is easy and what is a little bit harder than easy. And so when we give you heart rate, pace and RPE zones, we've given you three metrics there to help guide you and keep things easy. And that's a lot of a lot of people do say that at times it's like, right, well, what's easy for me? How do I stay easy running? Well, here's three ways in which you can keep yourself easy by tracking your heart rate, by tracking your pace and by tracking your overall perception of effort. Um, and then, you know, that's really good for our training plans then as it gives us a lot more variety in our session. So we know if you are new to running and this is your LT1 value, we won't just start our LT1. We'll start below that and we'll build you up to that pace over time. And once you get more experience with that speed, you'll start doing more mileage in and around that LT1 speed because essentially that's building you up to your towards essentially your marathon pace. Um, but yeah, do you want to just pick up on that a bit more? Yeah, I, th- I think it's difficult to know where your LT1 is without being tested. And of course, it doesn't mean you have to have a test, mm. by the way. But I think typically I would expect to see somebody run a marathon at the intensity somewhere between LT1 and LT2. I don't, I don't think anywhere near up to LT2, even for the for the elites. You know, they're going to be much further up there than mm. than kind of uh, you're the everyday runner like myself. But that's where typically I would expect somebody to be to be looking at for a marathon if it's your first time marathon you're new to it uh, maybe if you're not a particularly high volume runner um compared with what your goal is you know like you were saying Callum for yourself first marathon you were looking more around mm-hmm. LT1 uh, to help guide yeah. you as to what your potential marathon pace could yeah. be and and it's like what you said there it's the three things isn't it because it's monitoring we often talk about on this show with different different guests that it's the RPE, so rate of perceived exertion. How does effort feel to you? And really, some people like that, some people don't because it can be really difficult. Oh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how hard are you working? On a scale of <laughs> 6 to 20, how yeah, hard are you working? <laughs> yeah, which is the, the Borg scale, isn't it? The mm. famous Borg scale. So it can be difficult, but 
I would suggest and recommend embracing that whole RPE, rate of perceived exertion, because it's a really nice way of monitoring how hard you're finding something. I'll give you a very, uh, what I think is a good and relevant example, certainly at the moment. So uh, as many listeners to the show will know, I'm not running at the moment. I'm back a little bit, Callum. I did my third run today. It was just a jog uh, for five minutes with a 60-second walk, so practising what I preach. But I'm focusing more on some cross-training, so I'm doing some bike sessions in the gym. I'm getting in the pool as well. For the bike session, I'm using heart rate zones, but I've reduced the the actual beats per minute, so I've reduced each of the zones by somewhere between five and eight beats because of the nature of the fact you sat down on the bike, there's less muscle groups involved, you haven't got the impact like you have with running, so I'd expect to see lower heart rate zones. But also, because I've not been tested, because I've not, I'm not, I'm not a cyclist, I, don't, I haven't done any cycle races, I, I can't sort of say exactly what my zones are, I'm having to back that information up, that data, with feel. So I've set these zones up, mm-hmm. and, and I'm aiming to stay in the zones. And by the way, this is a threshold session I'm referring to that I did yesterday on on the yeah. bike, right? So I'm, I'm in I'm in the bar, I'm I'm in the gym, I'm on the bike, I'm I'm in the zone as I've set it up on the watch. I've strapped the watch to the bike so I can see where I am. But then I'm thinking, right? How does this feel? Does it feel like threshold, or does it not? Do yeah. I need to make some adjustments? So by you building that real clear picture and trusting your own judgment on that, by the way you are then able to make those adjustments and hopefully just minor tweaks so that you're hitting the mark because that's ultimately Mm -hmm. what you want, isn't it? Really, Mm -hmm. you want your training to be effective so you want to be working at the right intensity. And I'm just going to throw one more thing into the mix here, Callum, if I may, while I'm onto this. I'm in the (laughs) flow now, I'm in the flow. I love training zones. It's really helpful if you almost change your relationship a little bit with training zones and certainly rate of perceived exertion and just embrace it. See it as a challenge and as fun. So, for example, I really like running to to different efforts, Callum, and sometimes I'll just mm-hmm. I try and fine-tune my heart rate. This is back when I'm running as well, you know. I like We, we had Jake Smith on the show recently, and uh, love Jake, he's awesome. I mean, what a talented lad. And he was saying that he played... I see, I follow him on Strava. You can check him out on Strava if, if, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to keep up with the bonkers sessions he does. But he likes the heart rate game. He plays a heart rate game. Mm-hmm. He'll even ask his, his partner, right, give, give me a number and that's what I'm going to run today. You know, and he goes out. And he tries to <laughs> sort of hat. gauge the heart rate before he looks at the watch. Does that make sense? So he'll, he'll, he'll yeah. try to fine-tune his heart rate to where he thinks he should be uh, or where it where it is, and then he looks at his watch and it either backs him up, you know, he either wins or he loses that particular game. But I just yeah, think yeah. it's a really nice way of adding some creativity training uh, and a way of helping you to embrace the whole training zone thing, really. What's a good way to assess training zones if you have not been tested? So without being in a lab and, and having bloods taken, how do you sort of work out what your training zones are? What's your feelings on that? I mean, we know there's different calculators yeah. online and yeah, you yeah. can do different races and then there's a race pace calculator where it says, oh, well, you've done this, so you can probably do this. What well, What's your sort of instinct or does it go against what you know and believe yeah. as an exercise <laughs> scientist? I mean, I always try and um, do the testing as best where I can. Um, for example, re- recently I... I part in a bit of a research where a couple of students were, do, were doing the testing um gives them an opportunity to practice their skills and i got my testing that way it's just get anywhere you can um and i sort of an idea i think i flew by you in lockdown as well is if people had a treadmill they could replicate the test on their treadmill without the blood lactate you know you could give yourself rpe and heart rate zones you haven't got the blood lactate to, to sort of um guide that information but it can give you some sort of idea of right what your heart rate could be for what you perceive as easy steady hard um one good one I think we've spoken about before is going off your 5k time um, that can be used to be put into a few calculators like you said um, but I find five your 5k time trial now as I think you've seen you've put quite a few of your runners through before a time trial is different to just going out and doing a 5k I suppose hard or just trying to do well a 5k time trial is preparing for it beforehand going r- as hard as you can in, in that time um, and pushing really well on for, and towards the end Um and I find that's quite reflective of LT2. See, that's where I think we, when we sort of picked upon this a little, up a little earlier, um, LT2 and your 5K time trial, I find, are quite similar. Now, when it comes to cycling, um, cyclists will be aware of this term FTP. Um, we find there's a bit of, dis- of a disparity between what FTP value will be and what your LT2 value will be. And that's usually because um, the performance metric of FTP, which is 
the ability to hold a certain intensity, so wattage slash resistance, um, for 20 minutes and holding that throughout for that 20 minutes. Whereas with running, it's about a 5k time trial, it's about holding the pace, but you've, that pace can vary quite a bit. We find that the 5k time trial, 5k kilometer time trial in running matches up quite well with altitude, but with cycling, it, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't match up as well. That The performance metric of FTP is uh, significantly higher than altitude, that physiological measure. Yeah, I mean, any cyclist listening to the show will know that it, it is all about the FTP for, for, for many cyclists. Don't worry, guys, this is not a cycling show. We're not going to go down that path if you uh, you don't cycle at all. But <laughs> FTP, from my understanding, is, is functional threshold power. That's what that stands for, yeah, yeah. I believe. Which yeah, which is, yeah. is a different thing, isn't it? I mean, I think some people, some runners do have sort of dipped their toe in measuring power when it comes to running there's different devices you can get it's nothing that i've experienced myself but i think generally just kind of going and racing against the clock monitoring heart rate monitoring how it feels because that's really important you know were you able to extract maximum performance on that on that day in that race or in that time trial maybe 5k time trial that can be so helpful i think 5k is a good distance to see where you're at because and I think for, for a few reasons, really, because it's relatively easy to do in terms of time and commitment. I mean, it's not easy to do effort-wise because it's bloody hard to really extract, yeah. you know, maximum performance, especially if you're not in a park run and it's not a race or you're not on a track with other people. You're just going out there yourself. That's really challenging. I mean, obviously, there's benefits to that as well, mental strength benefits you'll get, but it is difficult. So that's why it's important afterwards to say, well, could I, in reflection which we've spoken about today, mm-hmm. could I have pushed harder? Could I have worked harder? Was that? D- does that show me where I'm at? So if, for example, I set my runners, uh, the classic 5K time trial, some of them I may set distances slightly longer than that, but it does depend on the individual as well, where they're at, injuries, sure. all that, because, you know, to say, it's really useful to go and race 10 miles and, and see what mm-hmm. you can race 10 miles in, but how hard's that? if you're not in a race yeah. just as a time trial <laughs> but i always like to get the feedback great you you did this time trial this was the time this was the heart rate i can see all those metrics what i can't see is how it felt how did it feel to you what did it go well was it a flat route were there any roads that you had to cross that got in your way were there any dog walkers that got in your way you know look at everything you know it's that qualitative data again isn't it Callum sort of looking at the whole picture Mm -hmm. and then from there you can start to that can help to inform sort of training paces and and where you should be so thinking about like your LT1 and your LT2 again um, if you're looking for things that uh, maybe give you an idea of what your LT1 and LT2 are, um, in the lab, when often when we see when people have reached their LT1, we start to see lots of the onset of sweating or the onset of increased breathing rate. So if you're ever out and you're going out for a run, again, lab conditions, you're, it's, be, it's likely going to be a little bit warmer than your average um, winter or autumnal time in Britain. Um, but we find that the onset of sort of sweating and the onset of sort of that increased breathing rate will likely be around your LT1. So if you find your breathing rate and sweater is starting to increase significantly at what it was at a slower pace, you're likely just stepping over that threshold of what is easy to now moving on to what's more steady and sort of your longer race paces. Just, you know, again, take, trying to combine that physiological um, quantitative data with that qualitative, that sort of, that descriptive um, aspect of how that training is going for you, you know, describing that sweat rate, describing that breathing rate, when did it start to increase, et cetera, et cetera. That's a great point. I mean, breathing rate's really important, isn't it? You know, it stands to reason that the uh, the faster you're breathing, the more the more pronounced you're breathing, the, the, the more oxygen your body needs, you know. It's, it's getting under mm. more stress, therefore it has to work that little bit harder. Your, vas- your cardiovascular system has to push that little bit more. So it's a great way to really identify, am I... Am I Am I working at the right effort here? Yeah, we talk a lot, a lot about conversation pace, and especially for the easy running stuff, are you at conversation pace? You know, that's not always so easy to know, but really trying to yeah. dial into that, I think, can be can be super, super helpful. What's your thoughts on, on warming up, Callum, and the importance of warming up? Ooh. You know, I know this is something you're passionate about, and, and, <laughs> and I am too, which is why it's good to, to bring this up with you on. We talk about training zones, you know, how we start this conversation, and... Uh, zone one, as you uh, re- referred to it as recovery zone, so it stands to reason yeah. that that's the really easy stuff, that's the painfully easy stuff. It's the, it's the the effort that probably most people miss out on because it's hard yeah. to run there. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, disciplined. 
But what are the benefits of warming up, warming up effectively, and how can you use sort of zones to make sure you're doing that? If if, if you do know what your recovery zone is, for example. Just to sort of go over what a typical warm would entail, essentially you want a part of that to be a pulse raising or an increase in pulse um, activity. By pulse, I mean increase in heart rate activity. So for, if I put it into a, a team sport context, often you'll see a lot of rugby football players going through a few drills before wanting to increase their heart rate. And gradually that'll increase with intensity. Um, essentially you want to do that before you're running as well. Now, if you're going for a recovery run and it's just purely recovery, you don't necessarily want that beforehand because the purpose of the run is to keep your heart rate low, to not put the body through extreme intensities. It's just about increasing that blood flow to get it to the working muscles that have been working from maybe a previous harder session and just allowing for that recovery. Now, if you're going out for something a bit more intense, you know, your LT2, your threshold work, you probably you more likely want to put more into that warm-up you've mentioned this a lot of times before that you want to put more time into that warm-up because um, you want to build up that intensity over time and then you know you're going into a hard session you want to be prepared as best you can and so you would have that pulse raising activity in there likely dynamic stretches too um, again this all comes from some research that I've been having a look, a look at as well as a research project I'm looking into and um, so the, yeah, the dynamic stretches as well and finally if you're really I say serious about it, but if you're really pushing the envelope with it, um, some something I like to call, well, I say I like to call, that is called post-activation potentiation exercises. Wow. So this is your stride. Yeah, big word. <laughs> this, this is your strides. This is, yeah, to put it into context, this is your strides, your bounding, the sort of stuff that's going to excite your nervous system and get it prepared, ready for exercise. Because, Jake, as we've mentioned before, it's not just about the cardiovascular system and the respiratory system. It's about the nervous system as well involved with your body and getting your brain ready to fire on all cylinders and get your working muscles ready for exercise, especially at those higher intensities. When I was a personal trainer, uh, I used to talk a lot with clients about the mind-to-muscle connection, mm. which is kind of what we're talking about here, isn't it? The central nervous it system. You, you, it's like flicking a switch. You want to send the message from the brain to the muscles as quickly as possible you need to keep them switched on and fired up and get them to do the job so this is what you're talking about you know if, if, if you're doing something that's very serious so it's a really important race to you and the race isn't too long so the reason I say that is obviously if the race is really long like a, an ultra marathon or a marathon or something like that <laughs> the speeds are slower naturally than they're going to be yeah. if you're doing 5k or a 100 meter sprint so the warm-up doesn't need to be Potentially, it's not as important. It's certainly not as long. Whereas if you're yeah. running faster, and that's the way to measure, I think, the length and sort of duration of your warm-up and how perhaps intense it should be, is what speed are you planning on on running at when it comes to your main session, your either your time trial or your race. And, and, and this is a general guide, but you, you want to, in your training, in your warm-up rather, get somewhere near the pace by the end of it that you're intending on racing at. And that's a general guide. That's not a go and do that, but that's a general guide. You want there to be less shock to the body. So when you suddenly set off in a race, we've all done it where we've not warmed up. You know, I'm a coach and I try to practice yeah. what I pe- preach, peach. I don't always peach. practice what I peach. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes logistics get in the way. So I've been trialing um, sort of a bit of a new warm-up protocol with a lot of my runners at the moment, Callum. Just making a few tweaks to the runners that yeah, I think yeah. will benefit from it. And it's a little bit experimental. I'm saying, try this. Let's make some adjustments. Always looking at improving things. But I always put in there, this warm-up, this is leading up to a race, by the way. So they're not in control of it, meaning they're not in control of the race. The race starts when it starts. They can't control how many people turn up. They can't control the the nature of the format and logistics on that Sunday morning or whenever the race is. Time trial's different. You can literally run it when you feel ready to run it. You can pick the course and the route and the time of day and all that stuff. So the reason I mentioned logistics can get in the way, sometimes it can be difficult to warm up close enough to the race start for it to yeah. be beneficial. And I know you're nodding here. I'm going to hand over to you because I know you really you, you <laughs> love this stuff, don't you? Um, so yeah. So you want to warm up close enough to the race start but not so close that it puts you under masses of pressure. You're then panicking about getting to the start line on time. You might even not get to the start line on time. That's happened to me before in a couple of races over the years where I've tried to warm up, you know, it's, I've tried to make it optimum and just finish the warm up in time and then get to the starting line. And then I realised that, okay, now I need to strip off. I need to put 
the bag in the bag lorry in the bag tent and that's <laughs> miles away so then I'm sprinting yeah. to make it back to the starting line negating the benefits losing the benefits of that warm up so you don't want to conversely you don't want to be warming up too early so that you then almost need to rewarm up you've lost the benefits you've cooled yeah. down and now you've got to do another warm up it's like you'd be exhausted be- before the time you get to the race talk to me a little bit about that the timings of warm up Callum because I mentioned logistics sure. can be tricky but you're passionate about this stuff aren't you definitely um, so just I've just lead off that logistics ever so slightly and put it into context of the, the experience I had at Manchester um, what a walk that was from the moment you go into the athletes village to the start line I didn't anticipate that being that long. Um, it's like you're going on a little trek because you're going through um, the Lancashire Cricket Club, I think it was. You've got the bag drop there um, and then you, you walk in what seems to be like another mile to the start line. I got so far to this another checkpoint and at which point I'd already done like a little mini walk before and it was just something to get my body in the, in the mood essentially. Um, got to this point I thought and I saw people in this car park doing their warm-ups I was like oh well looks like I'll I'll be choosing here to do it because they must know where the, the starting line, line is can't be that far um, so I did it came back and they're like oh yeah wave B you can go through now and I was like oh well I'm wave A I was meant to be going through 5-10 <laughs> minutes ago um, so I started sort of walking quite quickly to the start line then um, like you said made it made it there just, probably just in time had done my warp appropriately and I suppose it did help, really. It allowed that continuation of increasing my heart and keeping my heart rate high-ish with a fast-paced walk to the start line, um, following my, following my warm. Um, but from what I've seen from sort of the literature and what it says about something called a transition time, so the point where you finish that warm and start your race, you're ideally looking for between five to ten minutes between that, and if in less than five, you're probably still feeling the fatiguing effects from the warm. Anything longer than 10 minutes, you're perhaps losing that benefit from actually doing the warm-up. Now, like I said, this comes from the nervous system, the respiratory system, the cardiovascular system, all the things that are going to be beneficial um, in preparing you for, for your race. Um, but yeah, just yeah, the transition, transition time, I think, is an important factor. Um, like you've touched upon as well, intensity. So for the marathon, I wasn't going off doing ridiculous stuff beforehand. It was a bit of a pulse raising activity, so a little bit of a jog, um, some dynamic stretches, so leg swings, um, calf um, well I, the club call them penguin walks so essentially it's, um, <laughs> it's essentially bringing your toes to the sky and walking on your heels essentially um, putting them out put, pointing your toes outwards and then inwards and back up again those sort of things and then just a few strides really just to sort of add a little bit of intensity again getting my mind switched on increasing my heart rate etc etc and then I suppose it wasn't really about five minutes then before I started the race but if I'm being really honest with you being my first time marathon as well that was luck more than anything being five minutes from when I finished my walk to actually the start line. Um, the timings can be quite off, even really being honest. Uh, in, anticipating that walk, I didn't anticipate that walk either. As you'll know from Manchester as well, the, the, I think was it the um, your group, your wave was a bit later starting off as well. That's right. How can, how can, you, how can you account for that? So really, um, you can try and make it as best you can with these warms you can try time as best you can but unless you're really in like the elite elite events I mean I know you're in a high, high much higher wave than I was and you're in a good level of a wave there but even then that started a bit later so unless you're in perhaps the elite events of the world where it's gonna start bang on time otherwise sponsors and um, coaches and literally national countries are gonna have a go at you for not starting on time then there is always that that, that's I suppose logistical error that could occur and that's another big takeaway isn't it another big thing to consider I think that, that you can't control everything you know we're trying to sort of help you here with controlling certain elements of your training and racing that you can control uh, assessing where you are with your training through a, a physiological lab testing or through your own test or a time trial you know tapping into rate of perceived exertion how things feel warming up but some things are out of your control uh, a classic example that I I uh, often give Callum is um, one of the um, the athletes that we tested who's a, a duathlete was competing mm-hmm. in a, age graded in, in Ibiza in the championships there in an event and uh, aside from the whole nightmare of travel as well because that's a fact you've got to travel and someone new and all that sort of stuff woke up on the morning of the race obviously super nervous it's something that really mattered to her and there's been huge storms and the whole transition area bearing in mind this is duathlon the whole transition area had been washed away 
the whole of it. So the race organisers are in disarray. They're in panic. At the last minute, they've got all these athletes ready and and to go. They've got to get all these bikes set up and the, the whole transition. They've got to redo the course. They've got to set up a new transition area. How can anybody prepare for that? You know, no, you just unless no. it's all over the news and it, it's like, look, this is going to hit at yeah. this time. But how can you prepare? And it's it's you, I guess strength of character is how you adapt and adjust, and you have to park it and say, right, let's just let's get on with it. And we've spoken to a number of athletes on the show on the podcast where they've had these various things crop up that they can't account for the coach can't account for and they've just had to deal with it on the day put it to the back of the mind and make the best of the situation just picking mm-hmm. back up on the transition that you mentioned there i think this is a real key point to stress actually a takeaway for people we're, we're talking quite a lot a little bit at the moment about kind of races and warming up for races but if you think mm-hmm. about your training sessions as well transition time is really important when you're doing a threshold session, some hill repeats, some interval work, anything that's particularly stressful, you've got to work hard, it's important to warm up, right? I'm sure we'll all agree that, even if we don't warm up, we would agree that it's useful. But while it's important not to warm up too early and then have a massive gap and waiting around and then you've got to get warm again, I think that's unlikely in training. I think it's more likely in a race. But while that's Mm -hmm. important that you don't hang around and you cool down again, it's equally important that you don't suddenly warm up and then go straight into your session, which I think a lot of us are perhaps guilty of doing if we do warm up. Because we're time poor, right? We want to crack on. We've got stuff to do. There's kids to feed or to get to school or Mm -hmm. we've got to get to work or we don't want to get the session done because it's raining. Whereas giving yourself, and I think you said five minutes there from the research, is a really good amount of time. So if you just give yourself five minutes from when you finished your warm up, compose yourself, have another sip of water, tie your lace several times, we all like to do that, and then go into your session. Let your heart rate settle. Mm. Because what you'll find is you haven't got any of that kind of residual fatigue, if you like, that may be floating around a little bit from the warm what you've done. Uh, and you're also warm enough to be able to get straight into the session and feel good for it as well. You say about things you can have an extra sip of water there, you know, it's a chance to take um, some clothes off if it's too warm out, um, Tom's put an extra layer on if it's too cold, if you think you're going to get too cold. Um, another thing we've, I suppose I've, I've seen a few from some of the runners as well before is making sure your session's ready and you know what you're doing for your session. Um, so many times before it's been, you might be in the, you might be starting somewhere that's quite dark, so it's best to get under a lamppost and just check that session, just make sure exactly what you're about to do. Um, I think that's quite important. Um, and just give you that time to, yeah, just like say, compose and just get ready for about what you're about to do. Just get into that headspace. Um, often before when I've, I was quite early starting some of the club sessions I used to take part, well, I still take part in, but some of those earlier sessions when I first started, um, I found that, you know, in terms of pacing as well, getting an idea of, right, well, what pace am I going to hold? Obviously with the testing, it's a lot easier. I've sort of got a better idea of what I want to be. Um, but at those earlier stages, it was a case of, right, well, give myself that five minutes, allow me to think, right, well, don't go too hard at the start here. Don't keep with that person because you'll be done after like ten, five, ten minutes of a 30-minute session. Um, and yeah, just just allow me to take, to, to run sensibly. Um, so as, as much as we're talking about physiology here, quantitative, qualitative data, it's tying it back and, you know, sort of getting, allowing yourself to have, have some of those common sense decisions in those five minutes. And it is common sense decisions, isn't it? It's easy to keep things quite simple as well, you know, as well as looking at all the science and the data and the physiological mm. side of stuff, all that testing. It is keep things simple. What things can you can control? Can you control? And talking about transition, to use that word again, it's also making the transition in that period between your warm-up and your, and your session to make the... the the transition from work mode to running mode. Yeah. You know, if you've just suddenly you're fighting traffic to get back and you panics about that and you am I going to be back in time? You're back, your trainer's on out the door, I've got to go, ah, then I've got to get back and get food on. Give yourself a moment just to get into the right space. You don't have to be a professional athlete. You don't have to be training for the Olympics to just take a little bit of time and care and consideration over your sessions because these sessions are still important to you. You still want to do well. You've still got goals and aspirations and you still want to create those great feelings when you cross the finish line of your chosen race. So just spending a little bit of time and talking of time, I think a good point to end on is if you do feel, because we are all time poor, that you don't have time to warm up and you've got to rush it, you don't, you, you haven't, you haven't got five minutes, Callum, to have this transition in between Sorry. the warm up and the main session. If that's the case and you feel that's you, 
cut your session that little bit shorter. So cut your main session that bit shorter is what I'm saying. So if mm. you've got an hour to run, make sure that you can fit all these different components within that hour because you will be able to do it. It just might take a, a little bit of work and a few tweaks. Callum, how does the future look for you, buddy? What have you got coming up, training, you're running with the club? Who are you running with? Giving a shout-out to Royal Sutton Caulfield Running Club. Um, while, while we're here as well, can I give a shout-out to my girlfriend because she'll probably listen to this podcast at some point. So I just want to give uh, Faye a shout-out there, Faye Hand. Faye, hello. It was nice to meet you in (laughs) Manchester. You were there in a supporting role, making sure that Callum (laughs) finished the Manchester Marathon in one piece and then uh, didn't eat too much in the uh, post uh, post fueling, uh, we know you life. like your food, Callum. We do know you like your food, specifically the biscuits. It's great to <laughs> chat to you. It's great to have you on the show. Mm. A big shout out to your Thank guys you. at the club there. Keep doing your thing, man. I hope to cross paths with you again at a marathon <laughs> in the future. Can't talk to you into, yeah. into Manchester. Can I talk to you into Manchester? Can not I? Not into Manchester. This not for 2022, ah. but year after. Yeah, I'm looking to get into one then at least. My girlfriend said Paris. Because she wants to go to Paris. It's a good reason. Um, it's a good reason. I can see the way her mind's yeah. working there, Faye, trying to yeah. steer you to a uh, a weekend away in Paris. Why not, indeed? Well, she, we may see you. If we'll she pays you. for it all. <laughs> if she pays, I don't mind. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, if she's up for it and she wants to pay, I'll do Paris with you. Quite happy. I'm quite happy. <laughs> share, the same, share the same roof. <laughs> good to speak to you, Callum. You too, Jake. Thanks for having me on. Running with Jake, the podcast. Oh, hang on, wait. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Sorry, I, th- I thought I heard a knock at the door. I thought it was the mixing desk arriving. It's arriving today by 10 pm. I've been promised. Got got emails, got emails. Been tracking this morning, pre recording the show, pre breakfast. And no, there's no knock at the door. But it is going to arrive, and I'm very excited. We're going to be back to sounding professional. We managed to buy a recording desk, which is very, very. We're so appreciative of that, aren't we, Pete? We're very appreciative. We were able to do this. We placed the equipment. We were, because of one thing, because of Patreon, and because of the fantastic people who listen, and if you do um, give us money on Patreon, thank you so much. It genuinely does mean a lot, and um, and if it if it wasn't for the, the money that you donate to us on Patreon, this, you know, audio equipment, professional audio equipment is not cheap. You know, we wouldn't be able to afford it. That's all there is to it. We have some kit that we bought at the beginning of everything and uh, and it kind of limped along for so long and the reason we decided to replace it rather than repair it is because it was old and it wasn't really worth much money anyway but as it happens we're going to be we're getting some nice state-of-the-art equipment so that'll be absolutely brilliant and because of the people who do give us cash on patreon every month it's so kind of you thank you so much and if you are listening to the show and you do take um, value from from what you hear and you do use the running tips and such like and you do want to pay it back then please help us out as well you can help us out as well because all of a sudden we ain't got that much money in the Patreon account anymore because of the mixing desk blow up the big fire of 2021 Uh, so if you do want to uh, uh, donate a few coppers that would be lovely just go to runningwithjake.com forward slash Plodcast, and thank you, everybody who gives us money for this, genuinely. I've just realised, you remind me of that little old lady in Back to the Future. Save the clock tower! <laughs> Save the podcast! <laughs> you need to be shaking your little money box, that's what you need. Actually, I'm not completely surprised that the uh, mixing desk did start smoking and we, and we burnt it out. I basically broke it. I mean, look, episode 99, that's the full-length episode. It survived 99 episodes. And that's the full-length one, so obviously we released on a Wednesday. But then we've got all the quick hits as well and the live videos and all that sort of stuff it's like over 200 episodes now and that's a lot of knob fiddling i'm not surprised it's broken it's completely it's in the bin now it's done but we're going to move on back to being professional next week oh and talking of being professional it's time to take another one of your questions it is hashtag ask jake today's question comes from jonathan who wants to know if he should continue strength work up until race day he's doing a marathon uh, he's been strength training throughout his uh, his build-up but he wants to know whether he needs to drop it or whether continue it right until the day of the race in all honesty jonathan i would suggest that you drop the strength work i think you get minimal benefit certainly in the last couple of weeks uh, by doing strength work i think it helps you mentally sometimes so i think if people are so used to doing strength strength work they, they just kind of want to keep doing it right up until the day but do you really want any muscle soreness do you really want to provide extra stress to the body when in that late period you should really be tapering reducing the intensity getting yourself in the best fighting shape that you can so i would suggest that certainly in the last couple of weeks i would just do nothing at all with regards to strength work on the basis that your body does need a little break from uh, that sort of stimulus anyway that stress so it won't do you any harm and then once you've recovered from the marathon you can get stuck 
stuck back in to the gym work that you've been doing. Uh, I hope that helps. Best of luck with your marathon. If you've got a question, it's hashtag AskJake, or you can drop me an email at podcast at runningwithjake.com. Talking of smoking equipment, when it did occur last week, yes, I, I am going to move on from this. I am going to get over it by next episode. Don't panic. But it did remind <laughs> me of a situation that I experienced when I was 11 years old living back with my mum. And uh, for, for those uh, listeners old enough that can remember the days of cassette loading video games like the Spectrum 48K, the Commodore 64, all those nostalgic computers where you had to kind of fiddle with the volume button to get the games to load. They didn't always load. It was a bit of a pain in the ass. It reminded me of a game that I bought, which was Hong Kong Fury. So as a Christmas present, I, I was like super excited by this. I couldn't get it to load, right? It took me about two months to finally get this game to load. I was so excited that I loaded it. I did it in the morning before school and I was like, I can't. I can't turn the computer off now. If I turn the computer off, I'm just, what's going to happen? It's going to be another two months before I get to play this game again. So I just started to stick it on pause. And then I went to school. And by the time I came back from school, I raced straight upstairs into the bedroom, obviously eager to play Hong Kong Fury for like only the second time ever. And the bedroom was full of smoke. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> oh the transformer, the power pack to the old Spectrum 48K was smoking. It was just on fire. It was it absolutely stunk in there. I didn't get to play Hong Kong for it. I mean, can you imagine, like, if I was at boarding school or something and I, I had to come back like six weeks later, can you imagine the house would be on fire? Not a good thing at all. Not good. I know we're giggling about it, I know we're laughing about it, but it just reminds me of the nervousness that happened last week when you could smell fire. And, we, <laughs> and I said to you, what sort of fire is it? Trying to ascertain whether or not someone in, in the house had burnt some toast. And you're going, well, it reminds me of 1986. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, and then you went into that entire story and I'm going, Jake, Jake, stop. Just go! The, get out of the place! The guest is still you're on. You're burning, man! <laughs> Look, it's your fault. You told me to sniff the Transformer. You said sniff the Transformer and that's when it all came flooding back to me. That memory of being 11 years old in my smoking bedroom. Not good. Listen, we're going to be back to our usual professional selves in inverted commas. Obviously. Stop using the word professional. I mean, you can, yeah, you can have nice kit. Yes, you can have audio equipment. Thank you so much Patreon people. Yes, you can have all of that stuff, but it don't mean you're professional, mate. Look, to It just means you've got nice stuff. Listen, have a great week of running. That's what this show is truly about. Your weekly of running motivation we will be back for sure next week with another full-length episode of running reject the podcast until then be cool man bye <laughs> oh and one more thing today happens only once unless of course the groundhog casts a shadow